It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237. Or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 8th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. In January of 2020, almost three years ago now, Keane Mulready Woods uh, was murdered in Drogheda. It was one of the most brutal murders ever committed in this country and it was one of three, if not five murders, if not more than that, that resulted from the Drogheda gangland feud. It was seen as a step too far by most people locally if that hadn't occurred already after a couple of years of very, very very violent incidents and near deaths and attempted murders as well as very serious assaults and arson attacks all as a result of uh, the two gangs feuding over the drugs market in the Drogheda region. People demanded change. The government responded commissioning a report into to change the drug and gangland culture in Drogheda and the surrounding area. The regional report looked at was commissioned and Vivian Giron in that report made some 72 recommendations. Yesterday, the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, published the first progress report on the plan to improve well-being and safety in Drogheda and its environs or indeed the progress on those recommendations that were made by Vivian Guerin. Let's speak to local Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd, who is based in Drogheda. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. It's almost three years on uh, since we were promised change. How much change has been achieved? 
Well, I think there's very significant change, Michael. I think, first of all, on the actions of the Gardaí in prosecuting those who are responsible for the most appalling evil crimes, as you outlined, there is very significantly advanced. A number of people are before the courts. A number of people will be before the courts. And there's huge pressure has been put on the criminals who have obviously committed these appalling crimes. So that's that's the criminal justice end of it in terms of the absolute commitment on a new chief superintendent on McGovern. It continues on, on that work. I think the other point, the other side of this, is that we make sure that our communities are safer and that young people in particular who may be facing trouble in their lives because of the environment they live on, there's been huge investment in that. I know that the community policing unit in Drogheda is now comprised of one sergeant and 16 Gardaí, and these are Gardaí who know the community, who walk the areas, who are in touch with all of the families who know what's going on. That was lacking, obviously, uh, before the appalling crimes that happened. There's over half a million euros, Michael, has gone to our cable and the Bindgarda youth diversion projects. That is where young people who might be potentially at risk, we invest in their future. And among the, the monies that have been spent there, there's obviously new minibuses and, and things like that as well. There's huge support uh, between the statutory, that's the legal government agencies, the statutory agencies and the voluntary bodies. And obviously drug addiction um, is a huge issue in Drogheda and there's over 230,000 have been spent uh, by the HSE and the Department of Justice in supporting additional resources uh, to, to the Red Door, including a needle exchange and so on. Um, a full-time social worker who work with people who have uh, recently come out of, 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 of jail and so on. Mm. And also in education, Michael, there's three primary schools identified in the report have got additional uh, teaching resources for at least five years. So there's a lot of good things happening. Well, and didn't, I think, didn't those uh, three schools... Didn't those three schools... Sorry to cut across you, Fergus. Uh, didn't those three schools get those uh, additional resources before this uh, report from Vivian Geerham was published? Uh, they were being... They, they were. were now, when you them, mentioned... Yeah, 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 so, no, yeah. well, they got them. Uh, yeah, so, so I mean... Because, no, because this this, this report this report is full of of duplication, uh, and really the progress has been minimal. Uh, there's well, very there, there's very, well no it's a, it's a fact, and there's very little investment in uh, the Drogheda area as a result of what had happened and what was promised to combat it. You mentioned the red door, uh, yeah. the Vivian Giron report. Uh, called for 150,000 extra every year. Uh, Over three years, that would be 450,000. Over three years, it's received 230,000. It's a little over half. Okay, Michael, that's that's all very well for you to say that. Uh, I'm talking about the report that was issued, and the most important thing in that report, that it's a living report. In other words, it's ongoing. You'll see the word ongoing in in significant parts. Yeah, 65... Sorry, sorry. No, no, I just want to emphasise your point. I can't hear you, Michael. Just keep interrupting me. Well, I can't hear you if you keep interrupting me. Maybe we could... I'm not interrupting you, I'm trying to listen to you. Well, well, I'm trying to listen to you, and I want the listeners to hear what you've just said. You've said it says ongoing in the report uh, many times. I just wanted to make the point. It says ongoing in the report 65 times. Exactly. And that is the way it should be. It's three years on. No, Michael, can I just explain to you what that means? It means that the report, this is a, a biannual review. So every, so twice every year, 
uh, this report will come out and it goes through all of the individual recommendations by Vivian Guerin. Okay. And it says what is happening. Let's on pick one out. Some, oh, let's, sorry, let, okay. let, let's pick well, one out, you right? Go ahead, Michael. Okay, yeah. 8.7 in this report. Loud County. Oh, no, I'll just get it up. Sorry. Okay. Go ahead, yeah. Louth County Council to engage as a matter of urgency. A matter of urgency with residents of Moneymore and Castle Manor and any other stakeholders as appropriate with a view to closing off the offending gap and taking other measures arising or else finding a mutually acceptable and reasonable resolution to this issue. Yes, uh, that, that's a fair that, point, yeah. That sounds very straightforward, doesn't it? Three years on, ongoing. Is, what, Michael, one of, one, is, one uh, of the 65 ongoing issues. Uh, it's an ongoing problem. Uh, that is causing serious concern Three years for the on. people of India State you're talking about. I'll let, you probably have a letter from them as well this a, week. A matter of urgency. And, and Michael, uh, of course, the difficulty is that we have to find an alternative route for children to go to school. That is the issue. Uh, and that is what the council is, was committed to. Now, I'm not a member of the council, yeah. but I'm not avoiding trying to solve the issue. Yeah. Uh, there are council officials mentioned, I won't mention them on there, they're very familiar with a proposal that's been made from my office in relation. And they're very to slow about doing anything about it. They're very slow. I mean, this is three years on, closing a gap yeah. as, a, as, uh, as, uh, as an uh, urgent you're step. A big picture here. No, I'm not. I've, I've plenty, look, are, I've spent a lot of time looking picture. at this, and I'll go through the big picture. If you take yeah. the red door, for example, half the funding yeah. uh, recommended for that organisation has been delivered uh, three years on. And if you look yeah. at FASN, one of the most important uh, parts of uh, the dealing with the fallout from drugs in, in this country, it got a, a one-off payment of 9635 over the three years. I, 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 sorry, I didn't hear what group you mentioned there, Michael. Sorry. FASN, the Family uh, Addiction Support Network. Yeah, well, uh, that's fifteen thousand for a prim. That's for a site plan for the Moneymore Community Hub. That was no for the the, for the Family Addiction Support uh, Network Service. They got. Sorry, no, I, do, I don't have that. Uh, that's a nine thousand six hundred thirty-five one-off payment in May yeah. of this year. Well, Michael, you know the way the way I'm looking at this. Yep. This is either an objective interview or it isn't. And objectively, what I'm trying to explain to your listeners is that I'm very happy with the progress that has been made. And I know the public are as well, because the people that are talking to me in the communities are very happy with the support that they're getting. They understand that this this can't all be done in one day, Mm. but they they do acknowledge the excellent work that's been done by the Gardaí, the excellent work that's been done by the HSE. I mean, you're determined to to, to not agree with me on that. That's fine. Uh, That's not unusual for you and me, Michael, to Ah. disagree on this. Ah, no, the facts are. The facts are. Yeah, the like facts I, I, are there's more money. Than have ever I been before. accurate? Oh, have no, I been accurate? You want to drop me again? Go ahead. Yeah. Have, have I been inaccurate? Uh, no. Well, you made a, a very serious allegation about me there. Has anything I said? Has anything I said been inaccurate? Everything, Michael, that you're saying is hostile to the point that I'm trying to make. The point that I'm trying to make is that this is a program that is ongoing. This is the first of two reports this year. Mm. Very significant funding has right. been allocated for it. You don't agree with that. Well, I don't know That's where fine. the... Fu- I can't see I, the funding in the report. I'm talking to your listeners, Michael, yeah. uh, I, 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 to make the point to yeah. them yeah. Uh, that significant progress has been made. And okay. I would ask you, I would ask you yeah. to, to think again about, right. about, about your view on this. All right, well, let me go through, let me go through what, what I've seen from the report uh, and, course, and, Michael, and, yeah. and highlight the inaccuracies, right? I've seen 230,000 going to the Red Door. I've seen 75,000 going to the Boyne Youth... Uh, 
development strategy. I've seen 25,000 and 66,000 being spent on buses for Boyne and Cable. I've seen 9,635 going to fasten and a one-off payment. Uh, and that comes to a total of 416,000. Now, if you compare that to what was spent... Sorry, Mike, you left out the half a million, the 530,000 uh, for the, for funding uh, the Garter University Project. You left that actually out. I don't know if you can see that on the document you have in front of you, but it's there in black and white. You know, so I'd ask you to read it again, please. You right, know. right, okay. Well, and do, do you acknowledge that the Gardaí have made significant progress in terms of their interaction with the community? Because I do. Yeah. And I, I see huge cooperation, which is a key point, which is one of the key recommendations mm. uh, that all of the voluntary and, and statutory agencies have worked together. And shining out through this is the work of the Gardaí. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I think it's absolutely fantastic but also the communities. And if you look at the... And that, that, got, that guard of funding comes out of, uh, out of the overall guard of budget, doesn't yeah, it? Of course it does. Yes, of course it does. So I'm ta- it but I'm, but I'm talking about money that was allocated to local services uh, as a, a result of what happened here. Now, what, uh, what we're also looking at then is dormant funding. Uh, there dormant was account funding, that's correct. Yeah, there was, yeah. Twi- there was 20 million in dormant funding uh, and 20 uh, in 2020. Sorry, big friend, there was 8 million in 2020 and 10 million sure. in 2021. Uh, sure. uh, how much how much of that did uh, Drogheda get? Well, Michael, uh, according to the information I have, 15,000 went for the Money More Community Hub. And uh, here's the point, and I'd be happy to get the answer to your question. Uh, how actual many applications were made from Drogheda? I don't know the answer to that. Mm. But I do know, Michael, a very important government decision has been made, and I know you may have covered in the past, but just to remind your listeners again, that any application of funding made from Drogheda will receive priority in the departments in which it is made to. Oh, that's right, yes. So, that's the, the yeah, thing. So, so, but did the Drogheda get uh, more than a million I, euro? I the question it should got, be, it, it I would got, ask a different question if I were you. Hello, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the question the, the question would actually be how many applications were made and if you read if you have time to read the drought implementation uh, meetings if you have a look at them you see the huge fantastic work that has been done the follow through that there is yeah. between all the departments so I think you know there's a big picture there as well Michael yeah well, I know a lot of money has been put into that board. I'm not sure how much of that money has been uh, passed on to local services. Some 400,000 has been given uh, to setting up that board over the last two years. So you prefer it wasn't there, would you, Michael? I didn't say that. I'm just asking what, what has gone into services. That? I'm asking what work is that board doing, given that that board has yeah. never uh, issued a statement or made any... Uh, public statements or well, given I'm any interviews. Well, that, I'm not responsible for it either, you, but what I'm asking the question is, why, what, what, what is that for? Right to ask questions, but I, where I would start, if I were you, is on their website, on their Instagram page, Instagram page, sorry, uh, all the work that they're doing. They're doing fantastic work, and if you're trying to tell me that they're doing nothing, I think, Michael, you're, you're on the wrong I didn't say they were doing show, nothing. I asked you, know. you what they were doing, because 400,000, well, I, 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 I tell you, obviously 400,000, some of that went to set up the website, I take it. Yeah, no, no, Michael, I think the point is the website is very clear. One of the reasons why it's working so well is that, above all else, they have community reps on it. 
they have the Chamber of Commerce, they have the Chief Superintendent, they have the Regional Manager of the HSE, they have an excellent school principal in John Halpin, they have Michael Keogh, the former senior civil servant, they have the Loudmead Education and Training Board, they're all over all of this, and indeed very much a part of all of this is, is Louise Manley from the Red Door. You have the loud leader on mm. it. Uh, you know, no, but you're quite right to ask the question about the yep. money, and I, I, I'd be happy to ask that question. Yeah, now, Michael, just so that it's helpful to you, uh, if, if uh, Grania Burrell is, is, the, is the secretary of that board, and she's doing a fantastic job. Very good. But part of the rearrangement that I made with them and with the minister, that they will meet with all of the TDs of the area, mm. and she wrote to me yesterday, and we're going to meet, and we're going to ask that very question. I'll get you the full yep. transparency I can tell our listeners that Michael, they, let me finish this point please it's a very long point you're entitled to ask the question but you're you know I'm not the person to give you the answer but they will and they, okay. they are the people who well uh, the, the Department of Justice uh, uh, has been charged with overseeing it and that work is and that's on, very good I'm delighted with that right, they're the right people they're the right people Okay, but that work is ongoing. It uh, is. The Loud yeah. Mead and Education and Training Board is to host local Drogheda Implementation Board comprised uh, of local relevant agencies and bodies. That work right. is ongoing. It uh, is, Michael. Just on that very point, you, you, you might have seen a significant announcement for uh, the Diffie Education increased facilities down there, yes. including communities. That came from the LMATB right. and also... And also uh, 4.5 million into a new apprenticeship centre in Drogheda. 4.5 million for the LME to be. Martin O'Brien is doing a fantastic job. Okay. And it'll train, Michael, 300, over 340 apprentices in Drogheda, young people in Drogheda getting a future in apprenticeship. Fantastic. Okay. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, targeting, targeting and, and disrupting the activities of those who are at a senior level in the drug trade is ongoing. You mentioned it the work is, Michael, the no, I think I would be very serious uh, to say to you, uh, very careful to say this, that if you would talk to the Chief Superintendent, I'm sure he'll give you a briefing on exactly the huge, fantastic, wonderful progress the Guardian have made. And I would never doubt that. I'm not saying you're doubting it, but I would say they're doing an absolutely fantastic job. And I've every confidence in them and in the resources. And as I pointed out okay. earlier, the fact that the community policing unit is now a sergeant and 16 Gardaí yeah. whose job is to improve relationships with the community, yeah. to listen and learn and to, and to help. And there's a new community policing mm. uh, action coming as well as to see something, say something, uh, uh, policy where there'll be, it has to be set up absolutely where if you have an issue, if there's antisocial behaviour, anything more mm. you, you can text or ring and automatically yeah. well, the message goes three, through and will be responded Three, to four years ago you were saying that the boundaries of Loud the Meath uh, should be ignored in terms of policing. That work is ongoing. Uh, three, is three, three, fact, there's progress on that. Three, year, three years ago, Vivia uh, uh, Guerin recommended a needle exchange programme. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but 50,000 was allocated for that. Yeah, uh, and, and you'd be and glad to know that the progress has been made. And and no, none of it has been spent. Program, they'll tell you that very significant progress is made in that on-site, including people to work exactly on what you're talking about. But the, none of it has been spent. Has it? Well, Michael, it, it's again. Uh, this is nothing. It all wasn't built in a day, but the, oh, we're the three years on. We're three years on. People have been. See, you're ta- you know as well as I do. You're talking to people who have been living with this. Would you mind this, ringing the red door after this? 
uh, just to get clarity on that because I have absolute clarity on it. Okay, but you and know... It is going ahead, Michael. It is actually going ahead and there are staff funded... I know, but uh, it that. hasn't started yet. It's three years on. That's the point that I'm putting to you. The well, funding Michael, the has report, been allocated. Hold on a second. The Commission was set up in 2020, reported in January 2021. The board was only set up about a year ago. This, they had to get a chief executive. They had to get all these people together, the high-level group. Uh, and they've also, you mightn't be aware of this, they've had assistant guard commissioners down to talk about how crime, the guard, will tell you that they've over a thousand searches for drugs in the Drogheda area in the last six months. That's the highest in the country. The highest in the country. There's huge progress being made. Absolutely fantastic. It's still not enough. It'll never be enough. Mm. Uh, but but I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, take your view on it, Michael, or to approach it from the way you're approaching it at all. Okay. The HSE was to consider three years ago funding a drugs and alcohol project worker. It's ongoing. Yeah, but there is a drugs and alcohol. They have given. I think. Again, uh, again, I would ask that you would acknowledge that 230,000 they've given support to the Red Door and the Department of Justice. I don't have to break down between them, Michael, but again, Louise O'Mahony is the person that's I know, but uh, 230,000 since uh, over the last three years, uh, and well, Michael, the recommendation Michael, was... The recommend, the, but, but the recommendation was 150,000. Yeah, but I, I've, I've, I've no problem with following that up. I think, as far as I'm aware... They're, they're happy with the funding they've got and I'd be happy to be contradicted okay, on well, that. It's a, it's a yeah. significant increase and there's no doubt about it. Okay, uh, 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 undoubtedly there's been... a different way of looking at all of this, well, Michael. Uh, undoubtedly uh, there's been, the, undu- undoubtedly there's been progress. The question is three years on if the progress has been quick enough. Yeah, but it's never quick enough. It'll never be enough. It, it'll never be enough. But has huge progress been made? It has. And I say Drogheda is in a much better place. And I have great respect for everybody with the fantastic work they're doing. We've, we've hugely changed town, Michael. And it's, it's getting better for everybody. And I know there are lots of problems, but I, I, just, really, I just really think that... Um, it would be helpful for other people to hear the views of, of the Red Door, mm. to hear the views okay. of Grania Burrell and the yeah. Implementation Board. Uh, I appreciate the point you made about not getting press releases. I think they should be. They should go on your, on your show. Um, you know, and obviously the Chief Superintendent would be available, well, has been available well, in the past. The, the, the report just, is just on. to say how, how much progress is being okay. Well, that's that, that's what the report uh, has uh, documented for us, and it's available to everybody. Uh, and if uh, they wish to find it online, help to find it online, we can point them in the direction of uh, the report. But we have to leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed. Okay, Michael. Thanks. Thank you for having me. On. Thank you very much indeed. Finnegale TD for Loud and East Meath, Ferguson Dad. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the Save Navin Hospital campaign has threatened the HSC. Let's hear why its chair is Padre Tobin, who's aimed to leader and TD for Meath West and on the line. A very good morning to you uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, this threat is based on legal advice, I believe. Yes, yeah, so the background of this is obviously <clears throat> that the HSC uh, have been playing fast and loose with ministerial authority over the last um, last year. So we saw, you know, a, an occasion back in June where uh, the minister had said that the A&E wouldn't close. Yes, the HSE issued a press statement saying that it was going to close on the 30th of June. And we also saw a situation where 
um, you know, senior uh, HSE staff were going on the radio saying the minister is wrong, that they were going to proceed anyways. We even had a, a HSE uh, manager, I think, on your radio show, basically uh, admitting that the, the minister was gagging them. So we were very concerned that there's going to be a change of minister, most likely of health, um, in December or January of this year, because obviously Fine Gael are taking the, the position of Taoiseach and there's likely to be a cabinet reshuffle and that there could be an interregnum. There could be a period to where there's a, a new minister is just bedding down and it isn't fully in control of the, um, the HSE and the hospital service. And we were worried in that period that the HSE would again make an effort to close the A&E in Navan. It goes without saying, obviously, the A&E is the most important piece of health infrastructure that we have in the county and that we want to do our best to keep it open and to keep people safe and healthy. And it has to be said that the HSE believes that the emergency department is a danger to some people who may end up being treated there if it is not closed down. And, and, and our argument all along was to fix that, was that, that necessary investment in terms of consultant cover uh, would resolve that and would make it one of the safest and best A&Es in the country. And indeed, that was the view of the, the, the well, it was uh, the view of many of the people who signed the letter uh, in Drogheda, the consultants in the hospital there. So you're threatening to take the HSE to court uh, say- uh, and yeah. you'll be seeking an injunction to stop them from closing the so w- What we're saying is if the HSE pull a trigger on closure in this period of time, that we're just putting them in warning and that the people of Mead uh, will uh, take action, legal action, in terms of this. Uh, we have got legal advice, um, and that legal advice comes in a very detailed 31-page document, and it sets out basically... Mm. Um, you, you haven't our, published that document? We haven't published that document, and, and the reason we haven't is because obviously we don't want to necessarily give the HSC uh, our legal advice, uh, because it would be useful okay. uh, for them in terms of Well, from a short press briefing uh, that you've published, uh, I I think the advice is uh, very dodgy uh, uh, in terms of it being successful because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but reading between the lines, you're saying that you might be able to bring an injunction or your your barrister who's issued this advice to you is saying you might be able to bring an injunction against the HSE if the HSE is not acting in accordance with the government's wishes. Yeah, so that that's but the, the, the government will stop the HSE from doing it, then, won't they? Well, again, in this period of of a changeover of minister, you we can't trust the HSE or the government uh, in this type of scenario. So, the first piece of advice that we got was that we would have locus standi uh, in relation to this through a patient within the hospital uh, or one of the thousands of people who are seeking healthcare services here in County Meath. Uh, and as a result, we could then bring a, 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 an injunction against the HSE and uh, to stop them. And we were also told that that, that injunction would be possible. Uh, it would uh, put a stay of execution, if you like, mm. uh, on the decision uh, of the HSE and prevent the HSE proceeding in these terms. On the basis uh, that the HSE was a- acting in a, a way with uh, that, that was at odds with government policy? Well, there's two bases. First of all, we, we, we could do it, uh, even if the HSC had the imprint of, uh, you know, the, the government mandate. However, you know, the, 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 that would be less likely to be successful. But um, if the HSC were trying to, to do it without the authority of the government, 
and that that would be successful because in, in that situation the HSE would be contravening the constitutional uh, right of the government uh, to make these decisions that um, senior civil servants can't make these types of decisions and while you may say that you know this is an, an unlikely case you know if I was to speak to you last year and say that um, the head of the HSE telling the minister is wrong uh, and that he's going to proceed anyways is also, you, you, you would have said that that was completely unlikely as well, or that, you know, the, the minister at one point was saying that it wasn't going to close, while the HSC was putting out press statements saying it was going to close. The, the reason we're worried here, Michael, is because there has been an inverted authority uh, over the last year vis-a-vis the HSC and government ministers. And that's a, a big problem, a real problem, and it's one that we can't afford... Well, the minister has asserted his authority, has he not? Uh, which has led to the resignation of the CEO of the HSE because his authority was usurped by the minister uh, calling the shots. I think the minister has asserted his authority on the basis of enormous people power pressure. And, um, you know, don't forget, we took 20,000 people onto the streets of Navalon, two separate marches. Uh, hundreds of people onto the streets of Kells. Mm, but the government TD said there was no need to do that, that the minister wasn't going to close it. We'd heard that Mahela McEntee and Thomas Byrne, yeah. who's a member of the same party as the minister. But in fairness, right, and, you know, I've had debates with Thomas Byrne on this radio show where he has gone in the space of five minutes from saying it's not going to close to actually saying that he supports its closure. Um, you know, we have had situations where uh, Minister Damien English has stated that the review into the hospital... Uh, would uh, include a feasibility study for the future of the A&E uh, in Navan, and it didn't. Um, so, you know, the, the level of trust amongst many people who support the A&E in, in Navan and the government ministers are very low. Mm. So what we have is this potential legal case in our back pocket. It's a very clear, strong message to the HSE. Don't mess with the people of Meath in these terms because we're not going to take it lying down. We will go to the courts to make sure that people have access to healthcare in Meath. It's as simple as that. And, and, and you know, the, the context of this, and remember, like, you know, we had Colin Henry just in the last couple of days yep. admitting that it, would, it, it is very likely that people will be spending 24 hours waiting for A&E services. And I think that's one of, one of the reasons why uh, it's not expected uh, that the closure will take place or the move to close the ED won't take place until March or April. Like we would think, we would think it would be absolutely ludicrous for the HSE um, to proceed with a closure, given that just in the last fortnight, nearly 700 people were in trolleys in this state. But if, if you look at the board meeting of the last HSE uh, meeting, um, the, the, the decision again was that they should proceed with the closure of the A in the Navan. Okay. And there's a massive disconnect between the decisions that they're making at that level and actually the experience of people uh, on the ground. Okay, um, but bottom line is that it, it may end up in the courts, uh, and that's the advice uh, that uh, you've received uh, from uh, respected uh, barrister Geoffrey Sumner. We have to leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. That's Padder Tobin, who's uh, the chair of the Save Navin Hospital campaign, the leader of AIM2 and TD for Mead West. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, lots of calls to us uh, today. Thanks to everybody who 
who's been in touch with us calls uh, about climate change, calls uh, about uh, improving life for people in the Drogheda area uh, and indeed calls about our ladies hospital in Navin. James says he doesn't see the point of Micheál Martin going to COP27 when we as a country have failed to meet many of the climate change targets that we set for ourselves uh, and uh, that have been set for us by Europe. We're in no position to preach to anyone about what they should be doing when we can't get our own act together on this issue. Thank you indeed, James. There may be some point in that, but would you say the same about uh, every leader uh, who is speaking at uh, COP? Uh, there's very few people who have a good record in terms of climate change. Lots uh, of fine words, very little in terms of action. Sheila says she cannot believe how rude I was to Fergus O'Dowd in the interview at the start of the programme. She says, what is the point of inviting guests onto the show if you're just going to shout and talk all over them all of the time? She says, Michael let himself down with that interview and fair play to Fergus O'Dowd for keeping us cool in the face of such behaviour. Thank you indeed, Sheila, for that feedback. A number of people would have a similar view. Martin is one of them. He says that I lost the run of myself and that I was hell-bent on the negative, focusing on the negative in the report and the doom and gloom side of things. Why am I so slow to acknowledge that there are also positive points to focus on? Of course, change is not happening fast enough. It never does with these things. But Martin says that focusing on the negative only is not helping the situation. Shame on Michael for being so negative. Thank you indeed, Martin, for uh, that call and indeed for sharing your thoughts with us. I would have thought that our role was to look uh, at what was promised and what has been delivered after three years. Uh, Is it enough uh, given the scale of uh, the danger that was posed to people living in the area when we were all afraid of our lives to walk out of the walk out of our house onto the streets as was the case three years ago in the Drogheda area. Julia though is disgusted as well at how I behaved uh, as she puts it this morning. She says it was impossible to hear anything that was being said when I kept talking all over Fergus. Uh, She says it's a bad sign when a politician behaves better in a debate than the interviewer. Lots of people living in Drada would have liked to have heard what Fergus had to say about the report but they didn't get the chance because I shouted him down throughout the interview. Uh, I hope that I was hoping uh, that I actually uh, was correcting some of uh, the things or uh, putting them into context. Phil uh, thinks COP27 is just a box ticking exercise. It's just a large scale PR event for world leaders. No real change will be made as a result of it. It's a talking shop, Phil says. Thank you, Phil, for your call. Uh, Dear Drayton Kell says they need to keep the emergency department in Navin open put money into it and upgrade the service. Uh, somebody else saying with regards to the hospital in Navin and uh, the emergency department closing because it's not safe we're being told to go elsewhere uh, that is safe. Well I've been experienced with a family member who went to the top hospital on Friday and came out in a box on Sunday so they needn't be blaming Navin for not being safe. Heartbroken listener I'm sure. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, You kind of have taken me aback I have to say uh, by what you are saying to us it's uh, I suppose one of the most inevitable things in life uh, that we all will pass away at some stage Uh, Tom in touch saying let's call it a spade a spade. 99% of people are safe to go to Navin's 
A and E. If the other 1% is in danger and could die uh, as a result, then surely they can be brought to the hospital that would work better for them. The numbers would be very low. Can common sense not prevail, says Tom. I think that's the argument the HSE is making and that the 99% would continue to be treated as uh, this new unit. Uh, the uh, Matthew Andrade says um, that uh, we should uh, think about uh, when we interview politicians that uh, maybe uh, they're not mourning people. James Andrade says, I hope all of these apprentices that uh, will go through the training in Drogheda now are from Drogheda because there'll be no accommodation for apprentices uh, if they have to come across uh, to the town from other parts of the country. Tom in Navan says, a lot of waffle listening uh, this morning. Uh, we want answers on where the money is being spent. Uh, and Anne says, Michael Reid loves to hear his own voice, loves interrupting. Uh, so us, the listeners, just switch off. Terrible interview for Michael. Well done, Fergus, for keeping your cool. Thank you, Anne, for sharing your thoughts with us. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the Kells Family Resource Centre aspires to support people locally, families and uh, the community to meet their needs and achieve their aspirations using a community development approach. It's just launched its autumn programme. We'll hear a, a little bit uh, about uh, some of uh, the family supports that will be made available this year. Let's speak to Mairead Carpenter, who's the Access Coordinator with uh, the Kells Family Resource Centre. A very good morning to you, Maid, and thank you indeed for joining us. Just give us a, a brief overview of what you do because uh, you work uh, under the guidance of the National Agenda for Children's Services using five national outcomes as key areas for improving the lives of children locally. Uh, that's right, Michael. Good morning to you and your listeners. Um, yes, we do. Um, our work is underpinned by those five uh, national outcomes, uh, which briefly are, you know, being healthy, both physically and mentally, supporting um, active learning and um, protecting um, families and children from, um, from any kind of harm to be economically secure and to really to make those links in the, in the community, those connections. Um, that really enable um, families and empower them to um, meet all those different outcomes and goals. Okay, to so be healthy. Have, yeah. Yeah. Talk us through the the the, the five uh, outcomes. So the, the the five outcomes then, like it's, it's, you know, the, the health and the learning. So we would offer um, a variety of different programs that would support um, different aspects of each one of those outcomes. For example, we're running a, a family food together program um, at the moment, and that incorporates um, families come so being so being number one being healthy um, physically and mentally. So this is families cooking and planning together. Mm. That it's not just left to one person to plan and organise all the meals. That you're kind of getting children excited about um, nutrition and variety from a young age. And then which leads to, to, to outcome two, which is supportive and active learning. So you're trying to teach, um, you know, children um, and young adults, you know, new skills, skills around budgeting, meal preparation, making a shopping list. Right. You know, and then the outcome three, you know, it's been safe from harm and that, you know, kind of just basically to, to look after your own safety and, and well-being, um, you know, economically secure, that would be the yeah. budgeting element. 
mm. and then being part of your positive community is this is a community um, initiative right. set up so it kind of just incorporates yeah, and, and you often hear people uh, saying Raid uh, nobody taught you how to become a parent you end up being a parent and you learn the hard way uh, but maybe this is uh, a way that can help uh, people out through the various programmes uh, that you have uh, and on that note let's hear a little bit about a new service called Family Connections Loretto Martin is also on the line Loretto is uh, the founder of Voice of uh, the Child uh, tell us uh, about Family Connections Loretto Hi Michael how are you um, thanks for having us on um, I suppose from like Health Family Resource Centre have so many different services and there was a need for to provide a service for children where they could come and meet their non-resident parents, their siblings, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles. It's not just, it's, it's called family connection. So it's a holistic family service. Um, some referrals come from the courts, others come from parents um, themselves. And mm. um, we, we are working at the minute, however, um, funding is dried up. We have no funding for this service and it's very difficult for parents to come in and have to pay for a service um, when they're on social welfare. Mm. And yet for for the service we have two staff present at all times and those staff have to be paid. So it's just a very, very difficult um, process. Nice. And these are children from separated families, in other words? The children from separated families, um, sometimes, and I think if, like, we would deal with the Cavan, Kells, all that direction, because there's another service in Navan. So, like, if the like of Tusla in Cavan, you know, when children are in care, like, an awful lot of social workers actually do access, and if they were freed up to do the work that they should be doing, the professional staff in the access service here would be able to do um, the access. Mm. Do you know? So it's, but that's what it would take. It would take an SLA from Tusla to be able for us to fund and support the whole service holistically. Right. And are these children uh, in a situation where they have to? Uh, if they're going to see the estranged parent, uh, that it has to be done under supervision? No, we have three strands. We have supervision. And sometimes, Michael, if people, if children haven't seen their parent ever. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It happens, 
or if they haven't seen their parent for since the breakup. You know, that relationship needs to be built up again. And what we would do as access staff is we would have the place very relaxed, calm and a bit of crack. And, you know, when you have a laugh and, you know, you, you take fun out of anything, mm. that creates an atmosphere of, um, what would you say, peace and calm and people can chill. Yeah. And that gets over the awkwardness of, oh, this is the first time I've seen this person. Yeah, well, I imagine support is uh, very important uh, because it's unnatural, isn't it? Uh, and it can be, And it can be very confusing for people. It's very confusing, very unnatural, and our aim is to talk us ourselves out of a job. So as soon as my vision is, as soon as I see someone coming in, I see them going out with their children. Mm. You know, it's about, sometimes it's just a case of building up trust. And that's one of the things that I find very positive about the Carroll's Family Resource Centre. Angela, the manager, she will look at what else can we do to support this service. And there's a lot of families that only if they had a bit of mediation, you know, to build up that trust, to talk and see what are the issues, how can we move forward? So she has provided that service. Mm. Um, again, limited funding, but that that's invaluable for families because an awful lot of the time it's just lack of communication. Right. Uh, and uh, you have a funding crisis uh, from what you're saying. It's it's a new service, Michael, and it's, it is a funding crisis, but it's, it's something that you does need. It definitely needs funding so that we can provide, as I said, there's two staff, then there's a venue we have free, which is great. But it's, you know, to cover the staff, um, yes, it is. It's it's quite an expensive um, out, uh, outing, if you like. Right. And parents are not able to afford, you know, to cover no. the cost no. of two staff. Okay. You know, and, so well, it, we do need funding. Yeah. Okay. Uh, undoubtedly, you're making the case for funding to uh, come to you from the state uh, through Tusla. Um, are you asking people uh, to donate? Are you fundraising? Um. Well, actually, I wasn't expecting to be asked that question. Okay. I suppose, Michael, we need to know that if we that if we continue with this service, that we can continue to fund it mm. because we're not going to start and then stop a couple of months down the road. That's not fair for anybody. Okay. So we need regular um, sustainable income and to be guaranteed that that's going to happen so that we can continue and expand and improve children and families' quality of life. All right. Well, it sounds like a most worthwhile service, Loretto. Let me go back to Mairead, uh, because I'm looking at your autumn programme and, and it spans over two pages, Mairead. Is funding, generally speaking, a problem for the Kells Family Resource Centre? Well, um, I have to say our our, our, our our leader and our mentor, um, Angela, she really is um, wonderful at, you know, accessing as many funding strands as possible. And I don't know how she does it because mm. um, we do deliver um, as many programs as we can with absolute bare minimum cost um, to to the families, for example, our our par- if you look at our parenting support, so the Parent Plus programs, I mean they're they're quite expensive to train 
staff in, um, and it's, uh, but the but the parenting programs we deliver are evidence based that they work. So you're you're getting really really high quality um, programs, and um, you know any of our children youth programs like the the Confident Me, um, you know even our our um, youth cafe on a Monday night is just is taken off leaps and bounds. But funding is always going to be. I mean, it's always going to be um, a key issue for anybody who works um, in in social care across the board. Um, But like I said, we are very fortunate. Um, We are a good team up here. We do support each other really well. And um, to give give parents and families in the community the, the very best of ourselves. Okay, well, it's uh, incredible work that you do uh, and thank you both for joining us uh, this morning. Maraid Carpenter is the Access Coordinator and Family Support Worker with the Kells Family Resource Centre. Also with us, Loretta Martin, the founder of Voice of the Child. Michael Reed on LMFM. COP27 gives us all the opportunity to think about global warming and indeed to talk about global warming uh, but is there any time uh, better than now to take action against global warming? In just days, our planet's population will cross a new threshold. The eight billionth member of our human family will be born. This milestone puts into perspective what this climate conference is all about. How will we answer when baby 8 billion is old enough to ask? What did you do for our world and for our planet when you had the chance? Excellencies, this UN Climate Conference is a reminder that the answer is in our hands. And the clock is ticking. We are in the fight of our lives and we are losing. Greenhouse gas emissions keep growing. Global temperatures keep rising. And our planet is fast approaching tipping points that will make climate chaos irreversible. We are on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. The fight of our lives on the highway to climate hell. That's uh, the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres uh, speaking at COP27. Mr. Secretary General, you said we are on a highway to climate hell. We need to take our foot off the gas. We need to obey the first law of holes. When you're in one, stop digging. We have to stop making this crisis worse. We must see the so-called dash for gas for what it really is. A dash down a bridge to nowhere, leaving the countries of the world facing climate chaos and billions in stranded assets, especially here in Africa. At a time of turbulence in the global energy markets, the wealthy nations of the world should not confuse the short term with the long term and should not be fooled by the absolute need to backfill the shortage of fossil energy caused by the uh, cruel and uh, evil war launched by Russia in Ukraine as an excuse for locking in long-term commitments to even more dependence and addiction on fossil fuels. We have to move beyond the era of fossil fuel colonialism. And that's what it is. 
The dash for gas in Africa is a dash for gas to be sent to wealthy countries. We have to remove the barriers to the trillions needed for climate finance. And the scale of what is needed can only be provided by the private sector. I support governments paying money for loss and damage and adaptation, but let's be very clear that that's a matter of billions or tens of billions. We need four and a half trillion dollars per year to make this transition. And that can only come by unlocking private access to private capital. Right, that's uh, former American Vice President and longtime climate activist Al Gore, along with Antonio Guterres, outlining uh, the scale of uh, the challenge uh, that the world faces. 19 organisations have come together and written an open letter to the Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan, here. These groups include Antashka, Friends of the Earth, Social Justice, Action Aid, Aid Action, and indeed Community Law and Mediation. And we're joined now by Claude Daly, who's the Environmental Justice Manager with the Community Law and Mediation Centre. And a very good morning to you, Claude, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. You can preempt the messages coming to us that it's pointless us worrying about emissions in this country if there isn't action from the United States and China in particular. But you've written to the Minister and saying we have to do our bit. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Um, so... There is no safe level of climate change, as we know, and the impacts of climate change at just over one degrees, which is where we are now, have been devastating. And they've been devastating in Ireland as well. Like, let's be real. We are seeing the impacts of climate change. October was the 17th warmest month in a row in Ireland. Mm. Um, And we've seen that. We've also seen torrential rainfall as a result of increased temperature um, on the East Coast. And so... We, you know, the longer action is changed, the more difficult that change will be. And as the impacts of climate change worsen and as the window to remain within a 1.5 degree threshold becomes more narrow, the policy response to that will just become more abrupt. It will become more forceful and more disorderly. So if we were to have any chance of a just transition, we need to really start to take action immediately. And it also isn't true to say that Ireland shouldn't do anything because other countries aren't doing anything. I think, first of all, we can't say that to young people in this country who, for that generation, it's the defining issue. Mm. And Ireland has a really proud tradition of taking leadership on global issues. Um, Like if you look at our role on the UN Security Council, we wouldn't do that if we considered our role too small. And we wouldn't send soldiers abroad um, in peacekeeping missions if there were too many wars. Mm. So we can't look at climate change as too big for Ireland to deal with. We have pride in this country. Okay, but older Um, generations might say it's too expensive and younger people aren't paying for it. They don't have to buy an electric car that they can't afford. They don't have to buy a heat pump that they can't afford. Tell young people to save the planet uh, by taking away their phones and see how they'll react then. Well, I think that so I think that that raises some important questions about the distribution of the transition and who is going to pay for this and who should bear the brunt of the transition costs. Um, so first of all, you know, emissions in Ireland are not evenly distributed. So we actually have one of the highest rates of emissions per person in the EU. They're the third highest and they're continuing to increase. 
but they're not equal across all of our societies. So the top 10% of earners in society are responsible for a third of Ireland's overall emissions. So that really needs to be taken into account in terms of how we respond to this. And the other thing is that there needs to be structural change in how we deal with our emissions. It can't, it won't really be addressed by doing things like taking away people's phones. Um, we really need to actually overhaul our energy system, our energy system in particular. Mm. So we need to halt all new fossil fuel infrastructure and to reduce energy demand as well. So fossil fuels are the leading cause of climate change globally. Um, and if we were to make the moratorium on liquefied natural gas and fracked gas imports permanent through legislation, that would do an awful lot in terms of reducing our overall emissions. And the other thing that we could do is to reduce our energy demand by imposing a moratorium on the development of data centres until an, an assessment is taken out of what's needed to meet our legally binding carbon budgets between now and 2025. Okay. And bearing in mind that, um, you know, we're already a third of the way through our first carbon budget, which began in 2021. So we've between now and 2025 to meet um, that carbon budget. Okay. And again, you know, the longer that's delayed, the more difficult it will become. OK, I think the Taoiseach will tell COP27 that Ireland's role in this uh, or our targets in this will be achieved through offshore wind energy to a, a large degree. And the minister, Eamon Ryan, uh, who you've written to, I think has said that the data centres you spoke about are a temporary problem and that that problem will be solved with the onset of offshore wind energy. That may well be the case, but I suppose in the interim between that energy being developed, we don't have enough energy at the moment for you know the expansion of an industry that's reliant on additional energy consumption. Um, so what we're asking for is a moratorium on the development of data centres until an assessment of what is needed to meet our carbon budget from 2021 to 2025 is carried out. Airgrid, who manages our electricity grid, have warned that if data centre development continues unabated, data centres could account for more than 70% of Ireland's electricity demand by 2030. At the moment, data centres are consuming 14% of our total uh, national electricity demand, Mm. whereas all households across rural Ireland account for 12% collectively. So it isn't sustainable at the moment. Um, That's not to say that there should be a ban on data centres. That's not to say that it can't continue once an assessment is carried out and once it's clear as to how that energy demand is going to be met. But for the moment, it isn't, it isn't really feasible. OK. Uh, talk is cheap, I suppose, uh, whether it's Irish politicians or, or world leaders. And it's one of the points uh, that a lot of people are, are making uh, as COP27 uh, goes on on this week uh, and when you compare it to what was said at COP26 and how little was it achieved since then? Yeah, you know, this is the case is that we have an abundance of policies and targets and plans and we don't have enough action. Um, And, you know, we're really seeing that even, you know, during COVID and lockdown, there was a lot of talk of building back better Um, But Ireland's emissions, unfortunately, are continuing on a rapid upwards trajectory. And this is despite the longstanding recommendations of the scientific community, which Ireland has repeatedly endorsed. But the good news is that action can be taken immediately, actually. There's a lot that the government could do um, to address Ireland's emissions and actually get us on track to becoming a leader. 
Um, so, as I mentioned, you know, we need to halt all new fossil fuel development. We need to reduce our energy demand. And in doing so, we also really need to address the energy poverty crisis. Mm. Um, as we all know, we're living through an unprecedented energy poverty crisis in Ireland. It is an issue that's presented to community law and mediations, free legal advice clinics. We know that it's impacting the communities that we work with um, first and worst, really. Um, there are immediate actions the government could take to address that. Um, they could double the fuel allowance scheme in accordance with the recommendations of the ESRI. And they should broaden the scheme as well to make it available to those who are in receipt of the working family payment and those on job seekers allowance for less than a year. They should also expand our retrofit programme. This would go a huge way towards reducing Ireland's emissions. Um, But the current retrofit programme that we have isn't very ambitious, to be honest. We should really be looking towards retrofitting our entire social housing stock, Mm. retrofitting our entire social housing stock this decade. A lot of us find it very confusing. Mm. Uh, um, I mean, we're told to retrofit our houses on on one hand, and then we're being told uh, that if you were to qualify for the big grants, uh, Mm. which require you to get a heat pump, uh, you'd be getting something that is unsuitable for your house that heat pumps aren't suitable for a, a lot of housing, particularly older housing. Yeah, that's exactly it. So there need, it needs to be really, you know, much more tailored. And another thing that we've been calling for is for community energy advisors to be deployed through every single local authority throughout the country so that they can meet with different energy users and households and particularly hard to reach energy users. So those who'd be kind of feeling the brunt of energy poverty, particularly the elderly living alone, um, those living in mobile homes and caravans, uh, single parents, people who would be particularly vulnerable energy users. Um, there really needs to be, you know, um, targeted mm. um, services deployed to actually see what it is that those households need um, in order to live in more energy efficient homes. Mm, and I, I think you highlighted uh, to the Minister that uh, the answer to how to do that uh, has been suggested by some 42 organisations that have come together. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're also saying to the Minister that 2050 is too late. Oh, it really is. Yeah, I mean, 2050 is dangerously late, honestly. Um, and I mean, we're going to hear a lot of, I think, quite scary reports over the next two weeks while the International Climate Conference is taking place about how close we are to reaching irreversible tipping points uh, within our planetary system. And, you know, I think, um, like, it hasn't, we, nothing that we've done so far has been um, anything close to the action that we've needed to see. Um, but as I've said, we absolutely do have time to address this and there are really feasible things that the government could immediately be doing. But I suppose just to underpin all of that, it's really, really critical that the government establish a just transition commission. So that's something that we've been calling for. Um, the commission should really be established and what they would do is essentially um, work uh, based on social dialogue with uh, government, trade unions, employers, affected communities and civil society to develop the national framework and a blueprint for just transition which would cover our entire economy and they could do that um, under the guidelines of the International Labour Organization but we also would really be calling for those just transition guidelines to be a guiding principle for all climate action that the government takes and actually across all government policy, law and procurement and we think that it should be built into the mandates of public bodies, local authorities and regulators. Um, and that comes back mm. to the point you raised earlier, you know, about 
these intergenerational um, concerns that people have and the concerns people have, um, which are very, very valid and legitimate about cost okay. and how will that be distributed fairly. So that's really essential to ensuring that that's done correctly. Okay, act and act now, I, I think, is your message, Claudia. We'll yeah. hear more from Antonio Guterres in a, a moment, uh, delivering a, a similar message. But thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Much appreciated. Claudia Daly, Environmental Justice Manager with the Community Law and Media Center. There is no adapting to a growing number of catastrophic events causing enormous suffering around the world. The deadly impacts of climate change are here and now. Loss and damage can no longer be swept under the rug. It is a moral imperative. It is a fundamental question of international solidarity and climate justice. Those who contributed least to the climate crisis are reaping the whirlwind sown by others. And many are blindsided by impacts for which they had no warning or means of preparation. This is why I'm calling for a universal early warning system coverage within five years. And it is why I am asking that all governments tax the windfall profits of fossil fuel companies. Let's redirect that money to people struggling with rising food and energy prices and to countries suffering loss and damage caused by the climate crisis. On addressing loss and damage, this COP must agree on a clear time-bound roadmap reflective of the scale and urgency of the challenge. And this roadmap must deliver effective institutional arrangements for financing. Getting concrete results on loss and damage is a litmus test of the commitment of the governments to the success of COP27. Excellencies and friends, the good news is that we know what to do and we have the financial and technological tools to get the job done. It is time for nations to come together for implementation. It is time for international solidarity across the board. Solidarity that respects all human rights and guarantees a safe space for environmental defenders and all actors in society to contribute to our climate response. Let's not forget that the war on nature is itself a massive violation of human rights. We need all hands on deck for faster, bolder climate action. A window of opportunity remains open, but only a narrow shaft of light remains. The global climate fight will be won or lost in this crucial decade on our watch. And one thing is certain, those that give up are sure to lose. So let's fight together and let's win for the 8 billion members of our human family and for generations to come. Antonio Guterres, uh, the Secretary General of uh, the United Nations, just one of uh, the 8 billion people in the world. It is a somewhat staggering figure. Thanks to Mary, uh, who's been in touch with us, saying she's delighted to hear Peter Tobin pledge to continue to fight to retain services in the hospital in Navan. Great to see the campaign group willing to go the distance and do whatever is needed to keep the ED open. Its services are vital to the people of uh, the town and uh, the surrounding area. And they should be retained at all costs. Thank you indeed for your call to the show. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Dáil business will resume uh, today. Tomorrow, uh, a motion will be debated by uh, the politicians on uh, developing uh, full 
uh, st- uh, clinics, uh, full, fully staffed clinics uh, for long and post-COVID patients. Uh, the motion will come from the regional group. Let's uh, speak uh, to one of uh, the members, Independent TD for Louth and East Meath, Peter Fitzpatrick, who's on the line. A very good morning to you uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. This is uh, proving uh, to be a surprising problem for some people who say they got COVID, really didn't experience any difficulty with it, got over it, no problem, but then suddenly find themselves with health problems and others then who did have a, a tough time with COVID. Uh, but there's some 200 different problems uh, that are, are being uh, put uh, in line with uh, long COVID that people may be experiencing. Uh, how, how big a problem is it and how many clinics would be needed, do you think? Well, Michael, it's, it's a very serious problem there at the moment. And uh, as, as a member of the regional group, we have an opportunity tomorrow to put this motion down. Uh, in my clinic, the amount of people who come into my clinic, in, in like, for example, in County Loud, where you have uh, 685 uh, adults that has, uh, that has the, the long-term COVID. Now, the symptoms, Michael, is chronic uh, fatigue, chest pain, stomach upsets, like, uh, then even brain fog. Like, with a lot of people that have lost their speech and they're talking slowly and forgetting this. Mm. It just, this is a very, very serious problem. And uh, I had a postman in me there during the week there, and he, he, he got a wee mile and then all of a sudden he went to walk, he got off walk, he's back to walk. And every day he goes to walk, he walks seven and a half hours a day. He feels as though he's pulling a tire behind him. I had a teacher, a 37-year-old teacher, who has to hand in her notice that she went back to school on numerous occasions. And honestly, she just, she, she can't breathe, mm. she can't talk and everything else. This is a very, very serious problem. And your motion calls on the government to address some of uh, those workforce issues. How do you go about doing that? Well, Michael, we, we, we've not, we've an opportunity tomorrow, and we're hoping to get support from 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 from, from, the, from the whole house. The situation there, the situation there at the moment is even even in the EU, the EU are recognising that that uh, that that that, it, that, it, that is an occupational disease, and it's up to it's up to the, to, to to other countries to go down there. But t- tomorrow, we're going to raise the issue about the problems that people are having, and what we are looking for really is is, is a clear referral and treatment pathway. At the moment, people are getting sick. And what they're doing is they're going to the GP, they're going to the local hospital, and all they're basically doing is clogging up. Now, at the moment, and in fairness to the HSE, they, they have set up some clinics, and most of the clinics they set up is basically in Dublin, in the Bowman, and St. Vincent, mm. and, and in Galway, and that such. And the problem there at the moment is it, there's, there's big, long waiting times, and geographically, it doesn't really suit people to go there. But the, the problem is, I, I do believe that people are entitled to have a, a decent life, and if you're sick, you should be allowed to go somewhere. But we do need Should there be a clinic in every county? Well, Michael, well, listen, as I said to you, Michael, if you can put a, a clinic in every region, if you can start, like, for example, is if you, li- if you live in Dundalk, you go to Dublin. If you live in Cork, you go to Dublin. Like, you know, it, 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 it's just too mm. far away there at the moment. Is Like, initially, we were promised to have 60 specialist staff there at the moment. is, And at, at the moment, we have 20. Now, in fairness, and I'm not standing up the HIT at the moment, is we do need expertise people to look after these, these people the long term. And I do, I, I, I can understand why they've mm. gone to these major hospitals because to have expertise there. But it, it's about time, Michael. Like, this, this is very, very serious. And are, are the existing clinics for adults only? Uh, because I think you're making the point that children are, are suffering from long COVID and need specialised centres too. At the moment, there's no plans to uh, to provide a dedicated service for children, and like children are like adults. And like I, I've been very lucky so far in the last number of years. I haven't contacted the coronavirus, and I'm lucky enough that I, I don't realise what kind of pain they're in. But I do know what pain's like there at the moment is, and I have talking to parents whose children has it. And you imagine your child lying in bed there with, with a pain in the stomach or uh, chest pains or anything. P- people just don't know what's happening there at the moment. Is. And like, if you go, to, and, and I know I, I was talking to a lady from Black Rock during the week there. 
who took her two-year-old child up to the Lewis hospital the other night there at 10 o'clock. And she was advised at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning to come back at 10 or 11 o'clock the next day because the child's not going to be seen. And I was, I was always led to believe that when a child goes into an A&E or into a hospital that day, like normally the child is seen first there. Mm. So I just, it, there's, there's serious, serious pressure at the moment on, 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 on a hospital. And what, ha- what, what happens at these clinics? Do people come through? Do they get over long COVID? Do the symptoms go away? Michael, as I said, uh, people don't actually know uh, what the problems are. Like you mentioned there earlier on, there's 200 post-COVID uh, symptoms, and it, 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 it's a learning curve. Mm. But this is not the first type of infection we have at the moment. And that's why it's very important to have these clinics. Because, yeah. for example, if you go into an A&E and you've got a stomach upset or you've got chest pains and everything at the moment, like, like, it, it, it's very, very, very serious there. And the amount of time you're going to take up, as compared to, if you're a specialist clinic, that we're looking after these people with the long COVID and some places are referral or some kind of a pathway, but it's something that we're lacking at the moment. And if you look back mm. there, you mentioned earlier on your programme there, Michael, if you look back there on the 25th of October this year, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, it was the highest patient in Charlie's, 669, and 28 of them was children. Yeah. So the, the, the system is starting to clog up. Now the government, the government now in the budget has invested 23.4 billion euros. Mm. Like that's an awful lot of money at the moment. So I think it's about time to get, to get up with the backside okay. and to do things. No, well, fair enough. Um, uh, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, and forgive me because I don't really know an awful lot of, uh, about long COVID or how it can be treated. Can it be treated? Uh, and uh, can that treatment be successful? I mean, you spoke about the man going to work carrying a, a tire. Uh, can he lose that tire? If you understand what I mean. Yeah, Michael, what that man needs to be doing is they need to be tested. He needs to be taken into the clinic. He needs, yeah. he needs, to, be, he needs, he needs to, to be examined. The biggest problem we have there at the moment is the amount of people that, that's, going to, that's going overseas at the moment is, is on me. Because what happened there is there's no clear referral or, or, or pathway there. Now, like, this lady was telling you about it, the teacher, she had in the resignation. Her husband has put the money together and she's been over to Germany looking. They said, people do want to get better. Mm. People do want to go back to work. Like, there, 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 is, there is a recession, there is, there is, there is serious problems in this country at the moment, and the amount of people that have to go out there and work. Like, that postman I mentioned earlier on is, like, he's not going to work for the good of his head. That man's going to work to, to mm. put a roof over his family there at the moment. Is. And I'm, I, all I'm just trying to say at the moment is, mm. these people can be retreated. Like, they can, can be, like, yeah. There, there, yeah. There's success in these clinics, is there? Yeah, well, I Michael, and, and, and as I said to you, Michael, it's, it's just a petty, like, geographic with the hour at the moment. Like, you know, you're not there, you could be waiting, I don't know how long, you could be waiting days, you could be waiting weeks, you could be waiting months to get into it. And as I said, uh, like, these, these, these people, these clinics have specialist people. But, but as far as I'm saying, Michael, if you put them in maybe seven or eight or even nine regions around the area, you spread them out. Like, you know, that the forest people have to go maybe a 50 or 60 mm. miles, people will go that trade to travel. But you're going the whole way to Dublin from all around the middle of the country, go up there and maybe could be waiting days or maybe waiting weeks or totally come back. And they said there's no pathway and all we're looking for now is a pathway. Yeah. And in fairness, a lot of these people who, who got this long term yeah. it's, it's frontline staff. And when did they have COVID? Did they have it like in 2020 or in 2021 or did they get it recently? Because COVID seems to be far less... Uh, invasive than it once was and a lot of people aren't concerned about getting it anymore. Should they be concerned about getting it for fear of long COVID? Well, Mike, you looked at the example there last week, the, the Simon Community and Dog was closed because there was a, there was a pandemic down there. The amount of people had the coronavirus in, in, in there and that was closed. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, a lot of these people are going back now as far as 2020. And first of all, it was a mild symptoms. 
you know, back to work, and then all of a sudden they got tired, and their speech, they lost their speech, and they did a cough, and they got tired. Like, the symptoms are right there, and, and people will recognise that if your body's telling you there's something wrong with you, you know there's something wrong with you. Mm. So when you go to your GP and everything, like, they, these people need help, and as I said, yeah, there's 685 people in, 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 in loud, there's, there's 334,451 uh, nationwide that has some form of coronavirus and with, with the long virus. So I'm trying to say, Michael, now prevention is the best cure. I think the government needs to need to invest some of that 23.4 billion towards this long uh, this long COVID. And I think now is the right time to do it. And the last thing I want to see, Michael, is people coming on your program or you you asking me to come on your program to explain these trolleys and the big beds and all being clogged up in the moment is like this. Is, we have an opportunity and uh, like like. What really annoys me, Michael, is I hear that there's an awful lot of our doctors and nurses and everything else are leaving this country. Like, we have an opportunity now with it, with, with, you know, to look after them, pay them well. Like, you know, if a frontline staff member or anyone gets sick because of the coronavirus, mm. they should get, they should, you know, pay leave, they should be looked after. Okay. These, are, these are the people that, 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 that's keeping this whole country going, Okay, Michael. no doubt all of that will feed into your motion, which will be debated in the Dáil tomorrow morning. We leave it there for the moment, though, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. That's Independent TD for Louth and East Meath, Peter Fitzpatrick, who is a member of the regional group. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr joins us for the report this week from Navin Garda Station. And we're going to begin with a number of incidents whereby people have been impersonating members of Angarda Siakana. Good morning, Michael. That's right. There are a number of incidents countrywide where callers to the elderly are impersonating plainclothes guardie. So the impersonator would ask the homeowner, can they inspect any cash they have in the house as there was a burglary nearby? And the suspects uh, were arrested with cash on them and that their money needs to be inspected for comparison. And once the homeowner retrieves any cash they have, the impersonator snatches it and leaves the scene. So I just want to state clearly this morning that the Gardaí will never ask anyone for money to be examined in such a manner. And if any householder is unsure, they should not open the door and should contact their local Garda station to ensure the caller is genuine. I think it might be worth repeating that line, if you don't mind. Yeah, just in case uh, people are unsure, just uh, Gardaí will never uh, ask people to examine money in such a manner. And if any householder is unsure, they should not open the door and to contact their local Garda station to ensure the caller is genuine. Absolutely. Never, ever show people your money uh, and ask for identity. Uh, if you're unsure, call the Garda station, as you say. Uh, it's a cold, callous crime. Uh, we're going to Karen Ross next uh, for a report of a theft. That's right. Between 5am on Thursday the 3rd of November and 10am on Friday the 4th of November at Carna Ross and Kells, there was a theft of a large number of tools, amounting to a significant loss for the owner, including a lawnmower and Husqvarna tools. Now, entry was gained by cutting the lock on a rear gate and entering the garden shed. So I just want to appeal to farmers and those who have expensive tools or equipment to please ensure they are securely locked up and invest in cameras, alarms, sensor lights, anything that will act as a deterrent for these criminals. And just to recap on this incident, it occurred between 5am on Thursday the 3rd of November and 10am on Friday the 4th of November. So if anybody was in the Carneros area between those times 
and saw anything suspicious to please contact Kells Gardaí with your information no matter how insignificant you think it is the Gardaí would appreciate your help with this Okay, more uh, stolen goods uh, this time from a vehicle in Ashburn That's right um, actually in Ratoat so on Friday last that's the 4th of November between 8.45 and 11am at Ratoat National School a worker's truck was left outside the school while carrying out work there so on return to the truck he realised the back door lock had been broken and the lock was also broken on a toolbox and a number of tools were taken including a hedge trimmer and two chainsaws so if any listener this morning recalls being in the vicinity of Ratoth National School on the morning of Friday the 4th of April and noticed anything suspicious the Guardian Ashburn would appreciate your help with this Okay we've uh, some burglaries to report on uh, this week uh, the first of those in Drada. That's right. On Wednesday, the 2nd of November at 6.15am at Georgia Street in Drogheda, a man entered a house through the back door but there was no forced entry used. The homeowner was startled by the male in the house and the intruder then got scared and left and ran in the direction of Drogheda. Now, this man is described as being six foot tall, spoke with an unusual accent and wore a red jacket. So thankfully, in this case, there was no damage caused and nothing was taken. So again, I want to take this opportunity to remind our listeners to always make sure doors and windows are securely locked, especially at night time. Um, and as regards this incident, if anyone was in the vicinity of Georgia Street, I remember seeing a male approximately six foot wearing a red jacket running towards Drogheda at around 6.15am to please make contact with Drogheda Garda Station. OK, and another burglary. Uh, the final report this week uh, is a burglary in Talonstown. That's right. On Saturday the 5th of November, approximately 5.30pm, intruders were reportedly seen via remote camera at Louth Hall in Talon's Town Dock. And when Gardaí arrived at the scene, there were a number of windows open and entry was gained by three males through the back door. The glass door was smashed and an internal wooden door also broken. A large number of items of jewellery, mainly watches and rings, were taken along with cash. So in total, this is a significant loss to the injured party. Uh, between items stolen and damage caused. So as you can imagine, Gardaí are very keen to progress this investigation and anyone with information is asked to contact RDE Garda Station. Okay, thank you indeed. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navin Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, before we leave you today, some more of the comments uh, coming to us. An email that came to us from Theresa Riley following yesterday's programme and the interview uh, about uh, Stormont with Minister Thomas Byrne. She asks if the Minister uh, doesn't understand that the DUP are the extremes uh, in all of this and that they'll never allow politics to work in Northern Ireland with a Sinn Féin First Minister no matter what or is it that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael want to do everything they can to keep Sinn Féin down and prevent them from being in charge here or in Northern Ireland. Thank you indeed uh, Teresa for your email as always to the programme. Uh, another comment I want to bring to you uh, didn't come directly to us today but I, I thought it was an interesting one from Pat Savage who is from Drada, and it's a letter that he wrote to the Irish Times and he, it says I, I note members of the LGBTQ community and Green Party activists carried out a silent protest outside a Catholic church in Listowel on Sunday uh, in light of this will the leader of uh, the Green Party and his fellow TDs ensure that any proposed legislation to prevent silent protests outside hospitals or abortion 
abortion clinics be widened to ensure that members of any church can be given free passage to religious services without having to encounter protesters loud or silent. Thank you indeed to everybody who's been in touch with us today. That's our programme. As I say, Pat's letter is in the Irish Times today. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LNFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.